Disneyland has been called the happiest place on earth. Disneyland evokes images and fantasies of life in happier, more pleasant, and more exciting worlds. But beneath this glittering facade lurks something malevolent, something lethal. For not all of the millions of guests, never visitors, patrons, or suckers, entering the park in search of fantasy and pleasure, survive see the electric parade. They will leave the park in body bags. Lovely. Yeah, it is truly lovely. What? Uh, maybe you could tell me uh, what that is from. Okay, that is from the single best thing I have ever written. Um, it's called <laughs> Death at Disneyland. Death at Disneyland. I'm Dylan Thuris, and this is Atlas Obscura. Today, I'm talking to someone who, when I was just a teenager, just a young and impressionable kid, filled my head with tales of death and disaster and murder and mayhem. Someone who first told me about the tale of the great Boston molasses flood. And someone who, before today, I had never actually spoken to before. And as it turns out, I think had been waiting 25 years to say thank you to him. We will meet this infamous author after this. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself, you might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies West. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Actually, before we even meet the author, I need to fanboy out just a little. Because when I was around 13, 14 years old, I'd say, I I had a pretty heavy comic book addiction. I really loved comic books. I I ate them up. And lucky for me, there was a comic book store just around the corner from my house. It was called Dreamhaven. It was on Lake Street in Minneapolis. It was amazing. It had so many comic books, uh, graphic novels, collectible cards. And then there was the back room. The back room was where they kept all the sketchy stuff, adult comics. I almost certainly should not have been allowed in there. But one time, I wandered into the back room, and I found something really special. Issue 11. It cost uh, $1.50. And on it, it said, I heart disasters. All in black and white on Xeroxed paper. And at the top was the title of the zine itself. I Love Disasters was just the title of the issue. The title of the zine could titillate even the most hardened, heartless kid, which I was definitely not. I was a a weenie. 
The name of this zine was Murder Can Be Fun. And its author was a guy named John Marr, who, after I talked his ear off for about 20 minutes, could finally get a word in edgewise. Okay, great. John Marr, I am the former publisher of a zine called Murder Can Be Fun. But as it turned out, the one fact I thought I knew about him was wrong. Yeah, the name I'm, I'm showing up on Zoom is just sort of like, I, I, do, have a, I do have a real name. Yeah, yeah. John Marr is a pseudonym. Is it? Oh, I didn't, I didn't know that. I had no idea. It, sa- it sounded like a normal enough name. Uh, so so I, that, that makes sense. But for the purposes of this interview, we stuck with his pseudonym. John grew up in San Francisco. He always loved reading about the morbid and the unusual. And he came up during the punk scene. He wasn't much of a musician, but he still wanted to do something, you know, punk. And when I was a young fellow, you know, punk rock burst upon the scene. And a lot of the um, thematic obsessions with punk rock um, kind of melded very, very well with uh, my uh, more, more literary obsessions. And so I was thinking like, well, God, how about like doing a zine about the stuff that I like to read about? Um, it, it sort of has a punk rock sensibility, but it has nothing to do with music. So that's what John did. He started making his very own true crime zine. He called it Murder Can Be Fun, or MCBF, as it came to be known. Well, Murder Can Be Fun was sort of like um, uh, kind of a receptacle for my obsessions. I've, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in like, you know, really modern topics, mm. um, black, you know, black humor, um, true crime, you know, but, but true crime with an ironic twist. There were, of course, the historical crimes, the murders, but also disasters, book reviews, little historical essays all of which he wrote with a kind of perfect dark humor. What I was aiming for, I mean, this is horrible. Why am I laughing? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Whatever weird, unusual, morbid thing that grabbed John's interest could make it into an issue. And he can remember when he got the idea for his very favorite issue of all time. Um, it was sort of like you know, the perfect subject that just kind of dovetail in with all my obsessions and interests. A zine publisher suggested it, the topic to me. He mentioned that, um, you know, he heard that some people have been killed at Disneyland just saying, oh my God, that's just perfect. <laughs> I mean, I got to find, find out about this. I got to get all the details I possibly can. And so I did. And wrote that article, just, just you know, it's um, you know, number one on my personal hit parade. And then the punchline is, you know, when you have a zine, it's kind of a rationalization to research all this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, going to the library and spending like, you know, hundreds of hours going through microfilm newspapers to find out all the people killed in Disneyland for your own personal interest is just weird. As John Marr writes, beneath the sunshine and smiles and behind the fun and fantasy of the world's first theme park lurks true danger and real death. As one victim's relatives put it, you don't think about people dying at Disneyland. But they do. So how did this happen? How did an innocent young John Marr, who visited Disneyland himself at four years old and wore mouse ears and marveled at the Swiss family Robinson treehouse, how did he grow up to be this twisted purveyor of death and disaster? Well, you can point the blame squarely at one of the most dangerous influences of them all. Books. This guy can read. Yeah, my, my Goodreads reading goal is 
my challenge is 150 books a year. That's pretty ambitious. Growing up, were you a, were you a big reader? Oh, absolutely. Just um, you know, my mother had to like throw me out of the house to get me outside. Yeah, yeah I'd be like getting dressed in the morning with one leg in my pants reading a book. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What did you like to read as a kid? Like I really loved, you know, the Alfred Hitchcock um, literary franchise. Alfred, there's a bunch of like Alfred Hitchcock anthologies for children. Mm. And um, that are you know, you know quite morbid and um, some you know quite good writers in them and you know, I love those. Um, you know I, I love disaster books even at a very early age. There's, there's some children's disaster books for children that the Scholastic Book Services would sell and I just like <laughs> doted on. What did your parents do? My father actually was a um, was a policeman. Yeah, he's a he's a, a motorcycle cop, and he eventually went to um, law school and became a lawyer. But um, yeah, he always had great stories, and um, you know, I, I have a blackjack. I still have his blackjack, his handcuffs, and a spear that someone threw at him. Do you think that had any impact on on your interest, the, the his his work in law? Well, we share um, a similar um, dark sense of humor. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Did your did your mother share that dark sense of humor or other fan was this was a you and your dad kind of thing? She said, "Why can't you write something nice?" But John did not want to write something nice. He wanted to write something nasty. He wanted to write something punk. And back in those days, without Twitter, if you wanted to be a malcontent weirdo, you had to kind of work at it. You had to publish a zine, sort of like a magazine, but cooler. Before the internet, I mean. Your media op- or options for expression were very limited. There's like big newsstand type magazines. And then, then the only um, alternative to that, if you couldn't get into that, was, to, was a zine. Yeah. And so it's a, it a very, relatively small thing, but um, and we thought it was quite big at the time. And it was big for us. Yeah. I mean, you know, compared to the internet, it's nothing. But um, it, it was very much a proto-internet. Bit by bit, John found his audience, including a young me. The first issue I put out, 100 copies. Eventually, I got into a few stores. There's a little zine store in New York called See Here. It sold mm. nothing but zines. Mm. And I got into there, and again, that kind of raised my profile. And I just went from selling um, 100 to you know printing 5,000 copies. And each new issue meant just a tremendous amount of research for John often into things that polite people chose not to discuss. It was not an easy project. You were doing this all before the internet was really any kind of useful research tool. H- how were you doing your research for Murder Can Be Fun? It was just pure blunt force. I had access to the University of California Berkeley Library, and they have a, an extensive microfilm newspaper collection. Mm. So I started going through the Orange County Register day by day. Just scan, looking for the headlines for the Disneyland deaths. Oh, man. D- did you get discouraged along the way? No. Because mm. I just thought this is going to be, I think I thought the, the end product would be worth it. I don't want to pigeonhole John into the murder-only category. It's not that. He does have, indeed, a very dark sense of humor, and he is interested in the world's more morbid curiosities. But he's also just plain curious. All, all of these stories are were just, you know, I think you had a real gift for finding the aspects of them that made them strange and surprising and, and fascinating. Um, 
You've also, over the years, you've, you've become famous for a kind of another uh, a quote, uh, always read the plaque. Maybe you could you could talk about sort of where that came from. Okay, the, at the Portland Zine Symposium, I think it was like maybe the 2008 Portland Zine Symposium. You know, the um, symposium is being held on the Portland State University campus in this building. I mean, it's called the Joe Smith Memorial Student Union Building. And so I, um, you know, went up to, to my little seminar and said, I want to talk about where I get my ideas. Yeah. We're in the Joe Smith Memorial um, Student Union Building. Does anyone know who Joe Smith is? No one knew. So I said, well, Joe Smith is was a student at Portland State University in the 60s, and he was the the, the captain of their college bowl um, trivia team. But unbeknownst to um, his trivia ma- teammates or anyone else, um, Joe Smith had had a um, was suffering from fatal illness, and he died, um, I think, a year later. Hmm. So interesting story. I asked everyone, yeah. So where did I find out about this? It was on a plaque in front of the building that you all walked by when you came in today. The number one rule is always read the plaques. You, you, you never know when you're going to find something interesting. This is where you have, always have to be open and like look around. Yeah. You know, the world's filled with all these little interesting things, details that people are missing. And that's one of the things I got from John's work. This attention to just how strange and incredible the world can be. When a 14-year-old me saw those black and white stapled zines in the back room of a comic shop, it was the world as seen through curious eyes. It's strange, it's bizarre, it's disturbing self-revealed, at least one side of it anyway. Just the possibility of building your own lens to see the world through, to tell the stories of true things that have happened and make you go, I cannot believe that this was real. Do you have any advice for for young writers, people who have a love for research, for history, for telling weird stories? Oh God! I, well, I certainly wasn't <laughs> able to make a living out of it. So I can say it's good luck. But one is actually one bit of advice I always tell people is to try to do something different. Try to do something. Try to do something some everyone else isn't doing. Don't try to be just like your hero. You know, you take your hero and give it another twist. Do something different. Every issue of Murder Can Be Fun ended with a section called Read Hard or Die. John's currently reading a lot of 50s noir paperbacks. He recommends Lionel White, John Trinian, and Fletcher Flora. And he's on a never-ending journey to read the incredibly prolific mystery and science fiction works of writer Harry Stephen Keeler. To order your own copies of Murder Can Be Fun, you can go to MurderCanBeFun.com. This episode was produced by Dylan Thuris, Gabby Gladney. The production team includes Amanda McGowan, Johanna Mayer, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credit music is by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Dylan Thuris, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time.
This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. At Radiolab, we love nothing more than nerding out about science, neuroscience, chemistry. But, but we do also like to get into other kinds of stories. Stories about policing or politics, country music, hockey, sex. Of bugs. <laughs> Regardless of whether we're looking at science or not science, we bring a rigorous curiosity to get you the answers. And hopefully make you see the world anew. Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Wherever you get your podcasts.